Today is Giving Sunday, actually. And what a time to talk about giving. After 4,000 points is wiped off the Dow Jones in the last two days. <laughs> but uh, I, I, and I thought it's so appropriate because God put on my heart something which I've entitled, How Much Is Enough? Now, this is not a fundraising uh, morning, but this is a morning where I want to take a moment to talk about a very important area in our life, which is to do with greed. How much is enough? Let me begin by saying this. There was a story told about an old miser who was on his deathbed and is about to die. And so this is what he did. Before. He knew he was going to die. So he called three of his best friends to his bedside. And one of them was a doctor, one is a pastor, and one is a lawyer. And he gave to each of his best friends one envelope that contains $30,000 cash each, all of his money. So he distributed it into three envelopes. He gave it to his three best friends and he said to them, this is what I want you to do. That at my barrier, I want you to throw this packet into the, into the ground so that I can take my money along with me. And so they did. On the day of the funeral, the three of them were there and they each threw, a, threw the envelope in. And then after the gathering, after the funeral, the three best friends met for tea. And so at the tea, the pastor was the first to speak. I think he had a more tender conscience. And so he turned around and he said, you know, actually I have a confession to make. I did not throw in the full amount. I actually took $10,000 out for the church building fund. Then the doctor said, well, since you're so honest and authentic, I will be too. Actually, I took 20000 out to build a new wing for the hospital. And by that time, that lawyer was so upset, he shouted at them in pure indignation. He said, shame on you, stealing from a dead man, not me. I wrote him a check for the full amount of $30,000. <laughs> What's my point? Here's my point. There is something so powerful there's something so intriguing, so mystical when it comes to money, isn't it? For money, a man would kill another man. A son can sue his own father. A woman can violate her body. A man can sell his soul for money. And that perhaps is the reason why Jesus spoke more about money than almost any other subject during his ministry on earth. And for this reason, my brothers and sisters, the Holy Bible that you hold in your hand is to me the best economic book of all times. Times may change. The economy fluctuates, you know, high and low. Uh, currencies can appreciate and depreciate. And all of us who live in Australia really feels it now. You know? And share prices can go up, it can come down. But the principles of God never change. And blessed is a man who will apply these principles in their money management. I find that money is intoxicating. It is addictive. The more you have, the more you want to have. And money can hold us very tight in its grip. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, listen to this, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, right? Either he will hate the one, and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Money is the only thing, the only object that God puts side by side with himself as a rival God. He even have a name for this spirit. It's called mammon. You cannot serve God and 
mammon. And you notice that Jesus here is not stating a preference. He didn't say you should not. He's not even giving a friendly advice. You know, you must not. No, he is in fact stating an impossibility. You cannot serve God and mammon. There's no two ways about it. It's not you should not, you may not, or you, you must not. It is simply this. He's stating an impossibility. You cannot serve God and money. In the end, we either serve God or we will end up serving money. It's so definitive. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the Apostle Paul put it this way, for the love of money. I like that. It's not, money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grief. And this morning, what I'd like to do is to take you to an encounter uh, between Naaman, the general in the Old Testament, and Gehazi, the servant of Elisha. And then from there, I pull out for you six things about greed, something that could be lurking in some corner of our heart and we don't even realize it. And I like to expose it this morning, okay? So if you, if you have your Bibles, you go with me now to 2 Kings chapter 5. I want to read for you a narrative from there that kind of uh, illustrate this uh, for us. You go with me, 2 Kings chapter 5. I start reading from verse 14 onwards. Now, you know the story of how Naaman was a general, Okay, and he had leprosy. So in the end, he had no choice but to go to the man of God, Elisha, and ask Elisha to heal him of his leprosy. So Elisha got him in the end to go to the, to the River Jordan and dipped himself seven times. And as a, but at first, he didn't want to because he found the River Jordan to be so dirty compared to the rivers where he came from. In fact, he was looking at the river Jordan and he's thinking, even if I got no leprosy, I go into that river, I will come up with leprosy. So he said, why, why should I do that? Why should I go and dip myself in this terrible river? But in the end, uh, the servant girl was the one that addressed his pride and said, if you really want to be healed, why can't you submit to the, to the prophet? And so he did. And as a result, he was totally healed. And then this is what happened from verse 14 onwards. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he, he became clean like that of a young boy. And then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God, stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. And the prophet answered, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And, but and even though Naaman urged him, he refused. If you will not, say Naaman, then please let me, your servant, be given as much earth as a pair of mules could, can carry, for your servant will never again make burnt offerings and sacrifices to other gods but to the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing, that when my master enters the temple of Rimon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I have to bow there also, when I bow down the temple of Rimon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. And Elisha said, go in peace. He's, he understood his situation. He said, go in peace. But after Naaman had travelled some distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said to himself, now listen to what he said, my master is too easy on Naaman the Aramean by not accepting from him what he bought. And as surely as the Lord lived, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi, 
Gehazi hurried after Naaman, and when Naaman saw him running towards him, he got down from his chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Everything is all right, Gehazi answered. My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. Everybody knows that's a lie. Nothing like that happened, where he says, this is what happened. So by all means, take two talents, said Naaman. He urged Gehazi to accept them and then tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing, gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servant, put them away in his own house. He sent the men away and they left. Then he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? And the, your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. But Elisha said to him, Was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flock or herds or male and female slaves? And Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Father, I ask that you will come and speak to us. Lord, myself included, for none of us are spared from this monster of greed. In one form or another, it can attack us. And so I ask now in Jesus' name that your word will come and set us free. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, prior to this, we, we saw how God dealt with the pride of Naaman, the general, and we know when that pride was laid aside, then the power of God was released. And in the end, what we saw was this. Naaman's body was healed. He had baby smooth skin again, like that of a young boy. His soul was converted. He acknowledged the God of Israel. And he said, I will offer no other offering except the God, uh, the, the God of Israel. And his mind was completely changed. He realized that he cannot buy God's blessing. Instead, what he needed to do was to come humbly and to receive freely. And because that was the message that Elisha wanted to send to Naaman, that's why Elisha refused to accept any of his gifts. He will not, even though Eli uh, Naaman keep asking him to take it. He says, no, I will not. So that it's clear to him that you cannot buy the blessings of God. So as Naaman packed up his gold and silver and went off rejoicing, what happened was this, Gehazi's heart also went after Naaman, but not after him, after his treasures. His heart went with that treasure and that monster of greed began to work in his heart. And then even though, now please understand that even though today I'm focusing on greed for money, uh, in this message because it's Giving Sunday. But please understand that greed can come in all forms. Some of us may not be greedy for money, but we could be greedy for power. Some people are greedy for attention. Some people are greedy for recognition. We do anything to be recognized. Some of us are, are gluttons, you know. Uh, we are greedy for food. Uh, and for this one, a lot of people get away with it because we always laugh over it. Am I right? And many other things we will not admit that we are, we are greedy. But when it comes to food, it seems like it's okay. You know, we all just laugh at each other over. But actually, gluttony itself, it's a sin. Hello? Oh, yeah, I don't want to spoil your lunch, but let's, let's just get my point. Okay? Some of us are greedy for possession. 
You know, young people are crazy about that sneaker I got to have, even though it costs 5,000 bucks. I save everything to buy that. You know, some of us ladies, we're crazy. Some of you ladies, not us. Some of you ladies are crazy about that latest handbag. You got to have it by hook or by crook. We can be great, greedy for all kinds of things. Basically, I think greed is a compulsive drive. It is a selfish desire for something. And all of us can, be, can, can fall prey to this greed, right? But this morning, I'm focusing on the greed for money, but the principles I'm sharing with you can apply to all kinds of greed. So it's relevant to every person whether you got money or not. So listen to me, okay? From the encounter between Gehazi and Naaman, I want to outline for you six characteristics about greed. And we expose it. Number one is this. I believe that greed is hidden. Greed is secretive. In verse 20, you notice what it, what it says here. Gehazi spoke to himself. It is this internal self-talk that goes on. I'm not going to tell you if I'm greedy, but I know. And I'm talking to myself. Gehazi spoke to himself. In other words, he was greedy in his heart. His greed was hidden. And brothers and sisters, I've learned over the years that greed dwells in secrecy. It is often unknown to those around us. Only God knows, only I know what I'm covetous about. Only I know the covetousness that is inside. And greed, I learned, does not like to expose itself. St. Francis Xavier, as a Catholic priest, used to tell people this. He says, in the confessional box, you know, in, in Catholicism, they practice confession. They said people have confessed all kinds of sin to him in the confessional box, but not once have he ever heard someone confess that he is covetous. It's funny, but it's true, you know. Covetousness is something that's hidden. And the truth is, many of us may still have that monster of greed lurking somewhere in the, in the recesses of our heart. And that is why we never seem to be satisfied with our income. Anybody very happy with what you're getting? <laughs> that's because your husband loves you, pay you so much, eh? <laughs> yeah? But... Many people are never satisfied with their income. John Rockefeller was a billionaire. When he was asked, how much money does it need before a man can be truly satisfied? He gave a classic answer. How much money do you need before you are truly satisfied? The answer is just a little bit more. It's always just a little bit more. I know. I started out, I earned $900. And I tell myself, if only the three-figure can become four-figure, I'll be satisfied. And then I crossed 1,000. And then I started telling myself, if only the one can turn to two. And then it goes on and on and on and on. Right? And it never seemed to be satisfied. See? And anyone here does not, uh, would want to have more. Materialism and greed only manifests itself when we have to dethrone it. That's when we find out if greed is there. So number one, greed is hidden. Number two, greed rationalizes. Greed can always find a reason for wanting more. It's very, very good at this. We can always find a good reason for wanting something bigger and better for ourselves. We can always find a reason why we should upgrade our homes, right? Change our cars, renovate our kitchen, buy the latest home appliance, shift to a better location, etc., etc., etc. And we will rationalize why we should have more and why we should have better. We see this in Gehazi. 
he rationalized that Elisha had been too easy on Naaman. Right? He said, it's only right that Naaman should give something. After all, he's a rich man. Don't prophets need a retirement fund also? You know, we can always rationalize why we should have better and more. But in the end, what was the money for? It was for himself. That's exactly how greed works in all of us. We can always rationalize why we need more. I heard all kinds of rationalization. In the sales industry, they said, oh, I have a status to maintain. I have an image to portray so that people know I'm doing okay. You know, that's a, some people say it's a hedge against inflation, so I need more. The, the five-star one is a spiritual one. It's a sign of God's blessing. I went to America first time, and I turned on the TV and saw a TV preacher. I'll never forget that. This guy was preaching. He was with a big diamond ring on his hand. He was flashing his diamond ring, and then he pointed to his Cadillac that is outside. And he said to the people, see, I have Cadillac faith, but you have Toyota faith. <laughs> and I was thinking, this is out of this world, you know. Some of, some of the reasons I, I say may be true and valid, but we need to really pause, evaluate our heart's motives, because greed rationalizes. Sometimes it's hard, you know, to draw the line between what is need, what is greed, and what is God's provision. And greed can very quickly turn a, a luxury into a necessity. If we are greedy, every luxury can become a necessity. We have to have it. So we need honesty, discernment to be able to overcome the rationalization. Are you with me? Make sense? Yeah, so number one, it's secretive, it's hidden. Number two, it rationalizes. Here's number three, greed is compulsive. Listen to what happened. Gehazi said, I will run after him and get something from him. And then he says, Gehazi hurried after Naaman. Then Naaman saw him running. You see those operative words? Running, getting, hurrying. Those are operative words when a man is caught up with greed and covetousness. You see, can you see the imagery here? Somebody said, those who lose the battle with greed are characterized by anxiety and the pursuit of the temporal. How do you know you're greedy? You're characterized by this. You know, with this, with this, with, with, with this anxiety, this, this drive, you know, and this pursuit of the temporal. So the typical executive comes home every night tired, fragmented, drained, worn out, stressed out. I tell you, when greed has done its number on us, it will, bring, it will make slaves out of us. And greed can never be satisfied. The more you get, the more you want. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5.5. 5. Shall we all read this together so that you can go in? Okay, let's read this out loud together. For of this you can be sure, Paul says, no immoral, impure, or what? Greedy person. Such a man is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of his God. How many know this is serious stuff? We treat greed so lightly, you know, that, ah, yeah, you're very greedy, ha, 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 You know what Paul says? Paul says greed is tantamount to idolatry. Let me, let me read another one for you. Colossians 3, verse 5, listen to this. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, which includes what? Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and what? Greed. 
listed among all the other big sins, so to speak, which is idolatry again. And because of this, the wrath of God is coming. In God's eyes, brothers and sisters, greed is no small thing. It is tantamount to idolatry. And it's so true because once we bow our knees to mammon, he enslaves us. His grip is so tight, it's difficult to break free uh, except by the power of God. Jesus himself said, you know, how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's harder than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And, and bear this in mind, it's not just the rich who can be greedy. Poor people can be greedy too. It's nothing to do with how much you have or don't have. It's a condition of the heart. And it is not money, but the love of it. It's not so much that you have money. It's more because your money have you. That's where the problem is. See, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 tells us, he who loves money never has money enough. And that's very true. Proverbs 23, look at verse 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. It's true, isn't it? In the last few days, a lot of people's wealth has been wiped off just like that. Four trillion, I think, has been wiped off the stock market already in this last few days. The world says, easy come. When you talk about money, right? Easy come, easy go. The Bible tells us more specifically, naked you come, naked you go. Not easy come, easy go. Naked you come, naked you go. And it's true. So let's ask God, set our hearts free from discontentment and greed. Then we ask God to, to set us free, to enjoy whatever He blessed us with instead of striving for more. Treasures in heaven are laid up when treasures on earth are laid down. Treasures on earth are, uh, treasures in heaven are laid up only when treasures on earth are laid down. Greed is hidden, right? Greed is, uh, what's the other one? Rationalizes. <laughs> and then greed is compulsive. Let me give you the, the fourth one. I think greed is deceptive also. When it has really done its work, it becomes deception. Gehazi was so gripped by greed, he ended up lying to Naaman and even to his own master, right? Greed can cause us to scheme and to deceive. If a Christian businessman is greedy, he will lie to close a deal, scheme to get a break because greed does his work on us. Mark chapter 8, verse 35, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? Greed is deceptive. Watch out. Here's number five, very important. Greed distorts. Greed distorts us. When greed comes into our life, our value system becomes distorted. Gehazi, you know, for one talent of gold, two sets of branded clothes was prepared to deny and betray his own master, Elisha. You know what that worked out to? It's about $2,000 in today's money. So for $2,000, Gehazi sold his integrity. That's what it means. For 2000 bucks, he sold his integrity. How many of you agree? Greed can literally distort our value judgment. And the social media culture that we have today, I think really further escalate this distortion. The distortions get really blown up by social media. 
every Instagram post can add to our sense of lack or our feelings of inadequacy or our inability to measure up. Every time people post something, I feel even less of myself. Wow, look at that, so nice. Wow, look at where he is. You know, every Insta story fuels our need to be somewhere, to do something or to be like someone. And after a while, you know, the trivia becomes important. You know, and, 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 and um, insecurities, uh, those luxuries that we see, they become necessities. So we buy after a while into the consumer culture that we are in. We buy into the consumeristic culture and then there's no end to all these artificially created needs. Do you know in the 1980s, there's a guy called Jack Welch who actually is the CEO of General Electric. He was the first guy to popularize this philosophy. And his thinking was this, that the primary purpose of business, people ask him, what is the primary goal of business? He put it simply this. He said, the primary goal of business is to increase shareholders' value. That's the first guy to say that. And then after that, everybody jumped on board. What is the whole point of business? He said, is to increase shareholders' value. And since then, all of us have been caught in first world problems. And because everybody, every company is now out to increase shareholders' value, we have then advertisement, you know, social media, everything jump in. And you know what we end up with? Now, you know what is the problem we are all facing? What are the things, decisions we have to make? We are making decisions like, oh, should I subscribe to Foxtel or Netflix? Which one is better? And then we can't eat, can't sleep until we figure this out. My iPhone plan is, is finishing, you know, should I, should I upgrade or not? Should I upgrade or not? You know, is it Apple better or Android better? The answer is obvious, right? It's, it's Apple, right? Should I go to Asia or should I go to Europe for my next holiday? And we cannot decide every day we're on the internet searching this, searching that, trying to decide, you know, is it Europe or is it, is it Asia? Is it Europe or is it Asia? And we're thinking about all this all the time. You know, this weekend, should we eat out or should we order Uber Eats? Eat out, Uber Eats, eat out your business, and then we quarrel over this, you know, and all that. What are these first world problems? We are dealing with all this when the first world problems, when one billion people are going to bed hungry every night. When, when, when 663 million people don't have access to clean water around the world today, and 40 million people worldwide are suffering from slavery. These are the perspectives we need to have. And we are losing sleep, you know, over the speed of our internet. Greed really distorts our value judgment and throw everything topsy-turvy. And finally, when greed has done its job, greed will destroy us. Isn't it ironical? What Naaman came to lose, Gehazi ends up carrying leprosy. Naaman came all the way, went through everything he went through for what? To get rid of the leprosy. In the end, what happened? Gehazi ended up taking it. You see, Gehazi's heart, look at verse 27, right? It says, Then Gehazi went from Elijah's presence, and his skin was leprous, and he has become as white as snow. Gehazi's heart was greedy. His mind was scheming, and finally his body became corrupted. Paul put it this way in 1 Timothy 6.9, people who want to get rich falls into temptation 
and a trap and into many foolish, harmful desires that plunges men into ruins and destruction. You know, in the Hollywood movie years ago, and now it's still, it's still on, uh, it's called Wall Street. Remember that story? It starred Michael Douglas, that's why it's such a good movie, who played the part of a guy called Gordon Gekko, who's a, who's a, um, uh, a broker, you know, and make a lot of money and all that, but in very unscrupulous way. And he gave a speech at the end of his big thing that he did and then made a lot of money for the company. He was asked to give a speech. And the, the speech goes like this. I printed it out for you. It goes like this. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, he said, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward search of mankind. And greed, you mark my words, will not only save this company, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the United States of America. Thank you very much. He sat down, everybody clapped. What a terrible perspective to greed. I think my speech better than his. It's a terrible perspective to greed. But do you know, those words were actually lifted out from an actual speech given by another Wall Street, a real Wall Street businessman. You know where that guy is? He's in jail for doing, for one of a better word, greedy things. Greed is not good. Greed will always lead to destruction. And Gehazi was ultimately destroyed by leprosy because of greed. And when you think about it, what Gehazi was to Elisha in the Old Testament, Judas was to Jesus in the New Testament. Both these men, both these servants, Gehazi as well as Judas, have the opportunity to become great in the kingdom of God, but they missed it because their hearts were grieved by greed. And ladies and gentlemen, let us resolve this morning not to miss God's best because of greed but instead we resolve to pursue Christ with all of our hearts, our mind, our soul, and our strength. Proverbs 15, verse 16, learn from the wisdom of, of, of the Bible. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord. Fear God, that's more important, even if you don't have as much than to have great wealth, but with turmoil. Proverbs 28, 25, the greedy stirs up conflict. True, right? How many people fight because of, of greed? But those who trust in the Lord will prosper. So watch out for this monster of greed. Greed is the number one killer of investors, you know? I think that greed is a powerful force that draws people away from God. And when greed is ruling in our hearts, it is never enough. The more you get, the more you want. The picture I get is like little birds, you know, waiting for the mother bird to come and feed them. And when the mother bird comes in with the, with the worm, what's all the little birds doing? Everyone mouth wide open. And you're screaming, you know, even though without words, not screaming, more, more, more. And that's what it is. I want more. It's all about more. It seems like Every mouth is screaming that, and greed will get us into trouble. I tell you, this is a true story, okay? Between the year 2000 to 2003, there was a famous ceramic salesman from California. His name is Gregory Setzer. He started a scheme where he promised potential investors 
investment return of 30% to 50% within three months. You can get back to 30 to 50% in three months. He claimed to be able to source cheap household goods and then reselling them at good profit. He actually showed them showrooms and warehouses to show off the goods. But what he was doing actually was taking the investment from one group and to pay off the profits of the earlier groups without investing any of the money. Are you with me? We call this a Ponzi scheme. And it's happening around the world. There's Ponzi schemes going on. So when the first group, the first guy to put in the money, then the second guy put in the money, they take the second guy's money and pay the profits to the first guy. Okay, and when the first guy, the first group of investors get so much profit, they can't help but to put in some more and on top of that, bring all their friends and relatives in also because it's such a good catch. And everybody jumps in. Can you imagine the multiplying effect? And this is exactly what this guy did. Within three years, he actually swindled 1,700 investors out of US 170 million. All the money went to support his extravagant lifestyle with private jets, yachts, you know, helicopters and horses and all that. And the worst thing is this, Setzer actually targeted primarily pastors, missionaries, churches and ministries. He went for this group of people. Why? Because his narrative was this, that God has given him the gift of making money and he wants to share his blessing with God's people, especially pastors and missionaries. So all the pastors jump in and when pastors come out with more money, they tell their members, everybody jump in because pastors say so. And 170 million was gone, wiped out just like that. And taken in by spiritual talk and lost millions but what's the driving force behind all of this? One word, greed. Not just on the part of Setzer, but also on the part of everybody else who went in. Am I right? And it's true. So can I leave you with this? I want to be as practical as I can. Uh, my, I only got five minutes left. <laughs> okay, but can I just quickly run this by you? Three things that fuel greed. Okay, watch out for these three things. If they're in your life, get rid of it. Number one, the get-rich-quick mentality. The Bible warns us against this get-rich-quick mentality that many of us modern people have. So watch out for this. Proverbs 28, 20, right? Faithful men will be richly blessed, but one who is eager to get rich will not go unpunished. If we want to get rich quick, you will, you will, you will end up in trouble. So watch out for this. Now, can I just put it to you very simply? We don't have time to enlarge this, but very simply I tell you this. There is no such thing as easy money. Every investment, every, everybody who experienced financial success build it upon the foundation always of hard work and wisdom, patience, Hard work over time. It all comes down to this. There is no such thing as easy money. If you learn nothing today, learn this for your own practical use. If something looks too good to be true, it is most likely not true. Hello? If something smells like the rat, it is often a rat. Trust me on this one. There is no easy money. Greed, always keep company with a get-rich-quick mentality and slothfulness, laziness. Then they form this unholy trinity of greed, get-rich-quick, laziness, and then it turns every investor into a gambler. 
Number two, watch out for the trap of debt. Watch out for this. Proverbs 20, 22, 7, right? The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is always a slave to the lender. Romans 13, 8, owe no man anything except to love one another. One of the things that ensnares many Christians is a debt trap. If you are borrowing money in order to invest, don't. Don't buy on leverage. We, 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 we don't want to punt with something we don't have. We should not be borrowing in order to get more out of it. It is by far much better for Christians to just stay debt-free as much as possible. Okay, we have no time, so I'll skip some of these things, but watch out uh, for this. i leave you one, one last thing. <laughs> okay, I think three minutes can. Okay, <laughs> just quickly run you through. Huh? There are levels in which we can live. Huh? One is, we, some people live above their means. So watch out for this. If you're living above your means, watch out. There are people who buy things they don't need with money they don't have just to impress people they don't even know. It's not a good way to live. Don't end up buying all kinds of stuff with money you don't have. Actually, those stuff you don't really need just so that you can look impressive to people you don't even know you. So you have this brand new big time car and then you drive by, you're looking good and then the other guy look at you and then you think, feels good. The guy don't even know you. What difference does it make? <laughs> you know? So don't end up there. We can end up with big possession, but even bigger debt. Lots of gadgets, but no generosity. Number two, there are people who live just with their means. We spend everything we have by the end of the month, and then we wait eagerly for the next paycheck to come. The philosophy here is eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We're the stressful way to live. Not good. Third level, live within your means. That's good. This is the one who live with some degree of wisdom. They still make sure that there's something left aside for the rainy day. They give thoughts to things like insurance, investment, etc. But the level I want to challenge you to go to, learn to live below your means. Learn to live below your means. There are, the man who is skilled in the spiritual discipline of simplicity, we come to this point where even though we can well afford that thing, we choose not to. We choose to do without so that we can have more to share with others. We learn to say enough is enough and we're not driven to upgrade every time a new model arrives. We don't feel compelled to own the latest design or the newest gadget just because we can, we can afford it. And it's not because we cannot afford it, but it's because we don't need it. And they have found a place of contentment in God. If more of God's people learn to live below our means, and then we have more to be able to sow into the purposes of the kingdom, the kingdom of God will advance. Somebody say amen to that. And so we don't end up with just doing everything for ourselves. I'll leave you one last one. This one also avoid like the bubonic plague. Live like as if you have no means. There are some people who live like as if they have no means. These people actually have the means, but they are stingy, you know, tight-fisted towards themselves, towards their family, towards others. They have the means, but they are unwilling to spend. I used to be like that too. The last to offer to pay. Every time I want to take, hey, I forgot to bring my wallet. <laughs> 
want to pay, but yeah, yeah, I cannot come out. <laughs> Things like that. Actually, you can well afford it. We're always looking for the cheapest deal, the lowest price. People like that are not fun to go out with. We have the means, but we live like as if we have no means <laughs> so that others take care of us. Sad. Huh? Avoid number five also. <laughs> what about FCC? We build a culture where we live in level four. We live below our means. We live below our means. Proverbs 23, verse 4 and 5. Let me end with this. Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich, but have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will sprout wings <laughs> and fly off to the sky like an eagle. I like that picture. You know, you see a dollar note with wings flying off. <laughs> How beautiful is that picture, right? How true. And people wear ourselves out trying to get rich. But the Bible challenges us, show restraint, take money easy, cast by the glance, and they can be gone. During the last financial crisis, I have met millionaires, literally, who became bankrupts overnight. Money is not the ultimate answer to life, so let's not die for it. So don't wear yourself out, you know, trying, chasing after it. Don't trade your family, don't trade your friends, don't trade your faith for money. It's not a good deal in the long run. But if money comes from God, He will add no sorrow to it. And we will truly enjoy it. If God bless you, then use it wisely. Serve God. Bless other people. And you will find, as John Wesley said, it's so right. Earn all you can. Save all you can. Then you give all you can. Amen. May the Lord set us free. You know, myself included, no one's exempted from this. If God set us free, we learn to consume less on ourselves so that we can more to share with others. I have a, there was a pastor, you know, went to preach in a small town and preached the whole day. When he came back home to his host family, he was very tired, he was very hungry. Then this family has a husband, a wife, and six kids. And so when he sat down at the dinner table, they served him his dinner. And all he had was one egg and one potato. This pastor became so upset, you know. I worked so hard the whole day. This is all you're going to give me? Then he noticed, while he was filming inside, then he noticed that the whole family is not eating. And that's when it suddenly dawned on him that actually this is all the food they have in the house and they're giving it all to him. And he, in a moment of inspiration, he turned to the mom and the dad and said, set a table for everyone. And so that's what they did. Everybody got a plate. And then he took his knife and he cut that potato into nine small pieces. He cut that egg into nine small pieces and everybody get one piece each. And then they give thanks and they ate together. That's the spirit of sharing when we learn to consume less on ourselves so that others, we have more to share with others. That's the spirit of it. I'm not giving you this thing, practical handle so that you can all end up make, becoming richer. <laughs> it's not the point. I think my point is this, that we learn to take what God has blessed us and we sow it. And today, here's a call to action, huh? And I'll take a moment just to say this as I'll respond to the Lord. Here's a call to action. 
I believe that God has called FCC to do many things in 2020, 2021. God has put on our hearts this year that we need to reach out to the community in fresh ways. We're going to plan something up north, a new campus. God has called us to launch an internship program. He wants us to be able to serve other local churches in helping them become intentional disciple-making churches. We continue to do our missions in China, Cambodia, East Timor, Philippines, the unreached peoples, as well as now Japan. You know, I can call you to give to many of these courses and because all these are exciting, outward-looking courses, I think I could get more of you to give. And my team actually tell me, I think you should share with them this thing so that we can give to something uh, that's meaningful. And, and I agree, and I agree. But I'm also reminded at the same time that we must be responsible, that as we are doing all these things, we must also remember that we need to pay up our existing debt. That as much as we teach the importance of being debt-free, as believers, we also must practice this principle as a church. And we are blessed, you know, to have this beautiful facility that we are using every Sunday. The whole building project costs us $33 million. And by the grace of God and the generosity of so many people, we have built this building without drawing down a single bank loan. And today, we are left with about $4 million of interest-free loans to pay. So, I thought about it and I decided that I think I should just be authentic about this and tell you the truth. I'll try not to paint a nice picture and then get you to part with your money. That's not the point. But I'll tell you uh, just in your, in, in very simply that we owe our generous lender and we must be responsible to redeem this loan as, as a church in the shortest time possible. So... We are seeking to do all, as while well, we are seeking to do all the other things. And I assure you, we are not going to stop doing all the other things. In fact, we're going to do even more. But at the same time, we must be responsible to actually pay up what we owe people. And that's just the simplicity of it. If not, we will end up doing charity with other people's money. And throughout this project, I've asked the church basically to give towards the building fund only on two occasions. But this morning, I'm going to give one final call, one last call for us to dig deep and to finish this dream of going debt-free by the year 2022. This is the, like the final lap, and uh, we want to finish this and finish it well. So we call this three in three. We want to raise three million in three years. And I, I want to specifically give an opportunity. For those of you who may be new to our congregation, uh, I want to give you that opportunity to actually intentionally sow into the, in, into the repayment uh, of this house so that we can really work towards being debt-free. Now, to those who have already given sacrificially to this building project, and I know many of you have, I want to take this opportunity to again say thank you. Uh, thank you for your generosity. And I want to encourage you that we're going to go beyond, we're going to dig deep one last round, and we finish this race for God's glory. I tell you, up to today, my wife and I are still giving to the building fund uh, faithfully. So based on the principle to whom much is given, much is required, this is what it will look like. If we can have 30 people today who would pledge to give 10,000 over three years, we will raise 300,000. Or that's about 3,300 a year for the next three years. If 300 people here will be willing to give 5,000 over three years, we will raise another 
which is about $1,700 per year. It's not too much, but it's $1,700 a year. And 600 people can give 2000 over three years. There'll be $1.2 million. That's about $670 uh, per year. The total pledge will come up to be about $3 million. So this will be on top of whatever we are already giving. Now on your chair, when you come in today, this is our call to action. You have a little card that you come uh, with that, that's there. And we're going to take a few moments now as the worship team comes. And we want to do this prayerfully before the Lord. Um, let's, worship, let's stand together, shall we? Stand together and let's worship God. And God is the one who gives us all that we have to sow. And so we want to let God tell us also, put, things, put, a, put something in our heart to actually want to give. And let it be something that you give, not because you have to, it's because you want to. And as, as you think about this, as you pray about this, as we worship the Lord, at the end of our worship, then I will want to pray for you and then we're going to fill up this card. And at the end of the service, at the door, the ushers will be there with a little box so that you can just throw in whatever you are willing to pledge. And then I pray that together we will finish this and finish it well. Uh, shall we just stand and let's worship the Lord for a moment and then I'm going to pray and then we're going to finish this. Thank you, Lord.